0: Are you critically insane, have a lot of excess money, or even better, both? Then you can support this podcast by clicking on the ACAR support button. You can give as rarely and as little as you want, which, judging by the quality of this, I'm sure you're wanting to do. Hello and welcome to a PhD student. Or a fun fact about the number 24, so I've tried to keep it comics book related uh, this month with a, num- a numbers-based fact. So a tesseract is a uh, is, has 24 two-dimensional faces, which all are squares. So what do you think of that, Rodrigo Cocteau? <laughs>
1: I'm trying to visualize it, and I guess like in my mind, the tesseract was like the little cube from the Marvels thing, which obviously yeah, does not have 24 exactly. uh, faces. But now I don't even know what that looks like. I'm going to Google it and see because I can't even picture it. I'm too yeah. Because like, that was I just a big... that.
0: yeah. Thinking about it now, I didn't think about it when I wrote it down into my notes that the tesseract in the MCU clearly can't have 24 faces.
1: Oh, interesting. I like it. It's like a cube inside a cube that is like connected by kind of inward facing sides. Brilliant. Mm. I did not know that. Thank you for making me smarter.
0: There we go. That is some learning on the fly for us both there. <laughs> you too can learn on the fly if you like, share, and subscribe. And you can follow the show at PhD Reads on, on Twitter. Uh, before we get into comic book chit chat, uh, I will say that on February the 1st, uh, the comic book world did lose uh, Brian Augustine at the age of 67. He was the writer of Gotham by Gaslight. It's probably what he's most well-known for. I've read Gotham by Gaslight. He was a co-writer on The Flash with uh, Mark Wade for a bit and has done a whole bunch of other things. Are you a fan of Gotham by Gaslight? I'm a big fan.
1: I've never read it.
0: Oh, you really should. It's like a... If you imagine if you were to take Batman and put him in Victorian London, uh, where his main uh, antagonist is, is is Jack the Ripper, you would that's 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 gone by gaslight, and and it's great.
1: That sounds brilliant. Yeah, I'll definitely check it out.
0: Another uh, important news, timely news that uh, has only been reached this week. If you are yet to see Netflix's Daredevil and the rest of. Uh, other such things, on March the 1st, 2022. So this goes out, what, on the 19th. So you've got just over two weeks. They will no longer be on Netflix anymore. Where they are going, unknown. Will they Will they just disappear? They'll probably go to Disney+, Plus. let's be honest. <laughs> but just in case they don't, you have a limited window to watch three seasons of a great show, a couple of seasons of all right shows, an Iron Fist. Uh, oh, and probably The Defenders. I'd group that in with uh, Not Great as well. But uh, Daredevil, get on that now whilst, whilst you can. Last chance. Especially because Charlie Cox is back uh, in the main MCU. So, yeah. And according to, what's his name, Vincent D'Onofrio, it is the same Wilson Fisk. So these are, I suppose, technically canon MCU material that, that, you, that you need to watch. Uh, there are spoilers ahead for for the things that, that we have read. And, well, there's no MCU roundup because nothing to, in the MCU for once has actually come out. Moon Knight, I think, is next. Uh, next month, I think. There was a trailer for mm-hmm. that. That came out. It, it was pretty good. And I like Moon Knight quite a lot. So, uh, yeah. Are you looking forward to Moon Knight?
1: I am. Yeah, I'm actually... I, I think I have in trade form most of the recent uh, publications of Moon Knight that have come out in, I don't know, the last 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. And I've never gotten started. Like, I'm a big fan of him kind of, like, peripherally because I know yeah. what he is and what he's about. And I know that I like that type of character. But I have been looking for a reason to sit down and start from, like, I think there's, like, Benson and Houston and Bendis and, like, yeah. all these other people that have written moon knight in the last while and so i am really looking forward to doing that so it's uh, i'm going to do that before oscar isaac dons the the creepy white costume
0: the cape cow and mummy wraps I think there it you go yeah i started my moon knight with, with with bendis and then have gone backwards and forwards but yeah big fan mm-hmm. big fan of moon knight i think he's unfortunately sort of I guess not malign, but he's like, oh, it's the it's Marvel's Batman, but a bit more supernatural. I think he's a lot more, a lot more than that.
1: Yeah, I think uh, compared, saying anything is like Marvel's Batman or DC's this thing is like a, such a simplistic way to look at these things at this point. Like, you know, Namor or Namor or whatever, uh, and Aquaman both have a similar similarities, but mm-hmm. just after that, like they they lose any any, like, um, you know, equal equality there, because they, they start becoming very distinct when you deep do a deep dive then, and so I think, like, sure, I'm sure there are reasons why that they, they could be kind of similar, like, maybe one was created in response to the other, but, like, the many, many years yeah. uh, of comic book writing have set the characters apart, and, you know, they're not really a copy of each other.
0: And as a, you know, as the X-Men have shown us, there's only so many powers you can come up with before they, you know, start to get useless, so... 100%. A man that swims in water, lives on Atlantis and swims in water. That, I feel that's pretty top of the list of just powers that you can come up with on the fly. Whilst there there are Star Wars comic books out there that exist, thus it is important, important in maybe quotation marks there, that Star Wars is discussed. Star Wars, like the MCU, now owned by Disney, doesn't stop anymore. There's no pausing. Constant mm-hmm. Star Wars everywhere. And this these past seven weeks, there's been the book of Boba Fett. Yeah, so it's a it's a sequel to seasons one of two of the Mandalorian, starring obviously everyone's favourite bounty hunter, Boba Fett. Although I don't think he's going to be anyone's favourite bounty hunter, perhaps much longer after <laughs> book of Boba Fett has uh, has finished. Rodrigo, do you have any thoughts on uh, Boba Fett and his book? I have so many.
1: Um, first of all, I am of the camp of people that I have never understood why people like Boba mm-hmm. Fett that much. Uh, in the original movies, if you go back and watch him, he has about yes. maybe two minutes of time when I think it's like in the second one. Before, or sorry, I guess in the first one, before kind of having a slightly bigger role where he ends up being involved in, in the capture of Han Solo to bring him back to uh, Jabba the Hutt. I, I think he's a little bit overrated a character from the get-go. So that's where I'm coming from. Uh, when you watch this show, it is a little bit confusing as to what they wanted to do ultimately. There are two episodes in the middle of that are, like you mentioned, a direct continuation of the Mandalorian storyline. And so I wonder, why not market it as something... Like, for example, when the Mandalorian viewers come back for Season 3, how will they understand what happened in those two episodes of Boba Fett? I'm not sure. And I'm sure there are ways to market it or explain it. But I I, I want to see how that will be received because... You know, it's kind of like comic book crossovers. Sometimes they do the one where the story continues from, like, one issue to, like, one series to another. And sometimes they do where it's like, yeah, you just really need to read this. Like, if you want, you can uh, check out the other tie-ins and so on to get, like, a bigger story. But something as fundamental as the fact that Grogu is now Mm -hmm. back in the care of the Mandalorian seems like something that should have been addressed in the Mandalorian. So for starters, like the structure of the overall Star Wars cinematic universe, so to speak, is confusing to me. I, I guess it is now like an obligation to watch Boba Fett if you want to get the full Mandalorian story. So that's already confusing. The second part, the Boba Fett of it all itself. There's some people that are unhappy that Boba Fett as a character is now kind of a lot more zen, um, you know, like not... And so I think this is the issue when you are a fan of a character who has a total of like seven minutes time in the entire franchise, right? Like he was a blank slate and you chose to kind of project onto him like all these other cool things just because he had a cool costume. That is like the essence of Boba Fett. I will say for starters, not only does he have very limited time, he literally gets like destroyed in Star Wars by a blind man. The, the, his death involves Han hanzolo still not being able to see after being frozen in carbonite <laughs> turning around after chewbacca says boba fett and he says something like boba fett where and he just gets like knocked off and like uses a jetpack to fly straight into the mouth of a sarlacc he's not the coolest he never was the coolest character and i just think it was like a visual thing that people are like he has a cool costume so anyways a lot of projection onto this character and now i think he hasn't lived up. but i will say so, what, I will say one pos, one positive, like, one big positive thing that I felt towards the series. And then I will finish off with, like, a very, very small, <laughs> like, annoyance at the series. So, overall, I think the idea that is being explored of kind of, like settlement and like you know entitlement and following down the path of like families or like you know this the past structure and not looking to break the chains and step away from it can lead to very destructive behavior right like it kind of leads to to this decimation of the the tuscan raiders um you it it I can't remember. Is that what we call? Like, I feel like there's been some transition between it's like what we call the Tuscan people, Raiders. I, I think I at some point it was I think they're interchangeable. Yeah, I think I think we stepped away from sand people. I, I think we've stepped away from the sand people reference and have now referred to them as Tuscan or the other way around. But it seems like there's a clear desire in Star Wars to just go with one. Anyways, but it feels like there was a lot of exploration mm-hmm. of like indigenous kind of rights, and kind of, you know, like, colonization, and so, like, from that point of view, it was very interesting to me, and I think it's very bold for Star Wars to tackle some of these things. Like, for example, the the treatment of the Gungans by the other people of Naboo in, in the prequels, yes, they kind of stepped up and show, showed that, like, at the end of the day, we all share this planet, and we have to be vested in this interest, but the, the Gungans were always treated like caricatures of you know, uh, or or their relationship was like a caricature of equality, right? Like the Gungans were dying on this planet, throwing like uh, you know, like power balls with what in Spanish we call like an a onda, like you know, like, like a the, big catapult, the throwing basically, yeah. Yeah, and and meanwhile like the Naboo's are like anyways, like, it's always had like a very shady relationship Star Wars with like what its concept of the indigenous people are, like the Tusken Raiders again, who are people that are like Tatooine natives it seems like are jokes, you know, the the Jawas that they get this like everybody gets destroyed all the time by like these these outside players. They come into this planet, do whatever they need to do and then leave. And so Boba Fett in that point seemed very interesting to me. Now, I will say the big my biggest issue or not my biggest issue, but like the one that's most fresh in my mind is that they built up the concept of war. It seems like no mobster had more Mm -hmm. than six henchmen in this war that we are describing. And so like my biggest issue with Boba Fett is scale. Like what like if what you were trying to convey was like this violent takeover one way or another. Like, you are Disney. You cannot hire, like, a hundred extras to portray an actual war or, like, to make it seem more of, like, matching the tone that you're kind of trying to describe. Like, throughout the beginning, they describe it as a war. And then again, there's, like, you know, like, the poor two guards get pushed by, like, four people, I think, down a cliff. Like, uh, the, the evil Chewbacca, whose name es- escapes me right now, gets... I guess, like, tried to take it over by, like, six people. He then overpowers them and shows up. Yeah. Like, there was a problem of scale for me. Like, conceptually, it seemed interesting. But in the end, the payoff, I will say the Rancor was cool. But it's, like, just I, I, I feel like the scale was entirely off of what they were trying to do. How did you feel about it? You know, I, I went a very long-winded uh, talk about the entire series. But how did you feel?
0: So I guess I should get it out of the way. I think Boba Fett is quite cool. I'm one of those people. However, <laughs> I will say there is definitely a scale. I mean, there's people up there that think Boba Fett is like the best thing George Lucas ever come up with. Mm-hmm. I'll probably also say I'm a bigger fan of Jango Fett, his clone father. But that's probably also because mm-hmm. when I was a kid, Star Wars was the prequels. So even there... I'm not even I don't even yeah. dislike the free cause that much. So that's where I am coming from. So, you know, Boba Fett is this guy. His dad was a bounty hunter who trained him to kill and then there's quite a few episodes of the Clone Wars, the animated show about Boba Fett and his like little gang of of other felons mm-hmm. that he gets together. Yeah, then he gets knocked off by a blind man into a into a pit because his jetpack gets cut or something and he has so little control. ...over being able to fly, he falls straight into like a mouth in the ground. Okay, fine. Mm -hmm. My biggest problem with Boba Fett is Boba Fett himself. Like, I would have much preferred a show about a man that was a bounty hunter... ...that just every episode was, here's your target go off and, and kill this person. Or maybe even you could have a series-long arc where, you know, here's your target, he gets some people together, or, you know, one episode is him scoping out the environment or or something. However, you know, we talked about it, two episodes of Boba Fett don't even have him in it, and all the decisions... Yeah. I think he's barely in yeah, the second. Like there's one but scene yes. where he's in, he's in, like, the meeting, and he's like, we need some help. Okay.
1: Mm-hmm. In homage, perhaps, to his uh, his New Hope
0: performance. Yes, Yes, perhaps. Uh, But all the actual decisions are made by other people. All of the, you know, a show about Fennec Shand, uh, Ming Na Wen's character, also another bounty hunter that was in uh, the Mandalorian that ended up being in. She was sort of retroactively put in because she was uh, played in. She was in uh, the Bad Batch, which is set before that. Like she makes mm-hmm. almost all the calls there, whereas Bovet he just he's out there listening, just agreeing with with everything, being a to be fair all round nice man. You know that's that's great. However, that's not the sort of person. Yeah, okay, people can change, but if you were brought up to like train to kill from birth and your own father is a that you are a clone of is also a trained killer i feel like you will become mm-hmm. a trained killer even if you get sucked into the ground by by a big tentacle mouth thing i will say i did like the exploration of the right. Tuscan raiders because you're right you know every time we see them they're just savage people that bark at each other and whack people with big sticks so and then they get killed however here you know we get to see well, at least what this group of Tuscan Raiders is like, you know, they're sort of they have little dogs and there's like a, a chief, and you know you learn more about their their inner workings. But, but then the Mandalorian shows up, and it's like, right, let's have an episode about how the Mandalorian built his spaceship. Okay, why why is this? <laughs> yes, you know they could have had it if they wanted the Mandalorian to show up, which is fair enough, I guess he could have just shown up and they could have said something like you know the if the previous episode ends like oh we need muscle or something and then he could have just been there because clearly Fennec shan knows how to find him so you know you could just we didn't need any right. of that stuff about grogu that could have just been saved for the future episodes of of the mandalorian in addition which is something i'm growing more and more Of a dislike for in the Star Wars universe. You've got a whole galaxy out there, and yet everyone knows everybody. It's like, what is it, five degrees of Kevin Bacon, except it's five degrees of someone from the Skywalker family. (laughs) It's like, oh, Boba Fett, he knows Luke Skywalker. The Mandalorian, he knows Luke Skywalker. Fennec Shand knows both Boba Fett and the Mandalorian, who both know Luke Skywalker. You know, one of the things I liked about the Mandalorian, at least at the very beginning, was it was about someone we'd never heard of. All these people we'd never heard of that had literally nothing to do with anything at all. And as that has gone on, it's like, well, well you know, we have to put in characters people know because that's that's what they like. Cad Bane shows up. Cad Bane also being from the Clone Wars. He's there. I mean, that was cool to see. Did it have to be Cad Bane? No, it didn't. Hmm. It yeah. what do I think the show will get a second season? No. At well, actually, probably yes, because it's on Disney Plus and Star Wars fans will just consume. Like like those people that complain about the MCU. I suppose. I mean, we both watched it and we clearly didn't like it that much, and yet we we yeah. we, we made it to the end. <laughs> but like next month, no May.
1: Here's here. I'm gonna give you my my controversial mm-hmm. my controversial take, and is like an incredibly apologist. Um, I like bad Star Wars more than I like no Star Wars, so I I don't want to pretend out here that I I think this is a good show. But I would say like if you ask me like do you want a season two of the Mandalorian? I unfortunately will probably say, or uh, for season two of Boba Fett. I would unfortunately probably say yes because again. I just feel like I enjoy having, uh, you know, like, the the Cad Bane of Mm -hmm. it all. My biggest disappointment with it is not that he was included, but rather that he was seemingly Mm -hmm. killed off. You know, he's he's such a cool character that I I do think that I almost wish that he was not included and then maybe explored further in Ahsoka Mm -hmm. where, you know, they have a more complex relationship and so on. Like, I, I do think Boba Fett and Cad Bane... According to the Clone Wars animated series, I think he trained him for a little bit. So it's like I do see the connections there. But overall, in the end, I I don't think that there was much of a a delivery for that. So that's kind of like my biggest pet peeve with his inclusion. Um, What you were saying about them all being tied back to the Skywalkers always, you know, I do think that that was like my biggest excitement for The Last Jedi, (laughs) I don't know that we've had this conversation, so I'm not sure where you fall on The Last Jedi. I, I know some people think it's, like, the worst movie that was ever created. I'm very much on the other side where I think it was, like, the only movie that understood that for Star Wars to move forward, you need to kind of give up the ghosts of the past, right? Like, it was finally, like, you, they, they said Rey is no one. She is as no one as anybody, you know, the 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 broom kid and the, the weird casino planet that they made up. Like, he, as as much of an inheritor to the Force as anybody else, right? Like, it doesn't matter what class you're from, where you live. Like, we're going to move past it. And it wasn't just, like, conceptually, kind of this, like, decentralization of the Force, but just in terms of story, too, it was like, okay, you know, like, we like these cool characters, but we need to move on and create something new, or this isn't sustainable. And then in the third one, we decided to go back and not only kind of make Rey... uh, you know, in a, another uh, well,
0: she, Sky, she was she, she a was, Skywalker she was or was she a daughter she of a clone? Of she Palpatine. was a Palpatine. <laughs> and then took the name Skywalker at the end.
1: Yeah, so she was. Uh, anyways, like it it, it, it kind of, and I do agree with you that it's like, and especially like in the long run, if we want to make Star Wars, um, something sustainable, then we need to kind of detach a little bit about making everything so so interconnected, right? Like, so we'll see what they do. Again, again, not to be an apologist, but I'm always like team bad star wars over no no star wars the prequels for me are a goddamn mess but like you know i would gun to my head i would still want them to exist yeah, again i mean you're probably if right I, if I, mean, I could choose yeah.
0: anything time star wars comes up i will consume it i mean you know over Kenobi is out in 25th of may i will be there that first wednesday when it's on disney plus although i have quite high hopes for yeah. that. however that is also about people mm-hmm. that we know so back to the last jedi I'm a big. I for exactly the same reasons. Yeah. I'm a big fan of the Last Jedi. And oh, that's great! Yeah, it's like wonderful. G- yeah, good. Not everybody can be related to this one family. Like at this rate, we're going to get a film about who you know. They say in the Phantom Menace that that Anakin was an immaculate conception. We might as well just going to get some sort of microscopic show about the midichlorian that decided to give birth to <laughs> Anakin Skywalker. Because what more? About this this one family, could you possibly get out of it? But What are your thoughts 100%. on CGI, Luke? I don't like it. I see people on Twitter are like, yeah, that's my Luke Skywalker. It's, like, it's not, though. He sounds weird. I don't think... At least I think he sounds weird. He sounds like a robot, and so- that's because he is.
1: I agree, and I th- it's not like I'm being convinced that, like, oh my god, is Mark Hamill young again? <laughs> but it's like, I've kind of accepted that I'm looking at, like, an equivalent of a hologram, yeah. you know? It's like, I know this isn't real, I know I'm looking at CGI, it's not fooling me into thinking that Mark Hamill is, you know, young. But it's like, I've kind of accepted that it looks real enough that, it like, for example, if my niece were to watch this, she wouldn't be like, who the fuck is that? It, it yeah. would just be, like, another person. And so I, I think it's, like, as good as you're going to be able to get it, it's not good enough that it's, like, fooling anyone to think, like, oh, okay, like, they have some straight-up magicians that are making Mark Hamill young again. But it's close enough that I'm not bothered or or distracted by it. Uh, I do think it's fair if, you, if people are, though, because, I, I again, I don't think that they've managed, like, some some 100% veracity with his face. So But I, I, I'm not too bothered by it. I think like bad Star Wars over no Star Wars, if they need Luke as a character for this part and this is the best that they've got, I'm okay with it.
0: I mean, that's fair enough. I just sort of wonder how far can you push it? Because they did it with Peter Cushing in Rogue One. Peter Cushing is dead, which is a whole Mm -hmm. other thing. Mark Hamill is still alive. So that's... What's wrong with just casting somebody else? I'm not sat here in this chair thinking Luke Skywalker is a real person. Just cast someone else. Exactly. You know, people are out there talking about how Sebastian Stan looks like Mark, young Mark Hamill. Well, there you go. Cast him. Cast mm-hmm. anyone. And just tell me that it's, it's um, Luke Skywalker. You know, take Ahsoka, for instance. Rosario Dawson is not Ahsoka in The Clone Wars. So if you're okay with recasting someone else yeah. for that role, why can't mm-hmm. you be okay with recasting someone that is a physical human being? rather than CGI Luke, which, so I don't know. Right. Because they did it with, yeah. I mean, No, Robin I, I, did it I twice agree. Because I mean, uh, Leia was CGI too, wasn't she?
1: Yeah, she was. And, and so I do think that it, it is, it it it's like, if they think that they've gotten to a point where it's perfect, they're wrong. And so I do think that it's like a fair criticism to be distracted by it. I've kind of made my peace with it that it's like, if this is as close as they get, then good enough. But I do like, if they recast it, I would also like, I think there would also be like a new faction of people that are like, it isn't the same. And I would also be the yeah. same person that I I would make my peace with like, okay, cool. This is what they're doing. Like I, I can distance myself from the idea. And so like, if Luke is Sebastian Stan in the future, cool, let's do that. I don't care.
0: You get those memes, not my Luke. And it'll be a picture, a picture <laughs> of, of Mark <Martin laughs> Hamill. But yeah, I mean, you looking? I presume you are. Are Obi Wan Kenobi in on the twenty fifth of May. Hayden Christensen is back as as Anakin. Yeah, they specifically say Anakin, not Darth Vader. So I'm presuming that's going to mean some sort of flashback. But I'm, I'm, Mm
1: -hmm. yeah. We'll see. I'm I'm into it. I'm I'm not against um them exploring that part further. I do think Hayden is not the strongest actor, so I'm hoping that he will be better this time.
0: I think it will be. It seems a bit. It'll be a bit of a, I don't know, a trap, I suppose. So uh, to quote one, one Admiral Ackbar, if they put Anna, Hayden Christensen inside the Darth Vader suit and then he's like, well, he was in it. Surely you know it's going to be Anakin, right? I, it must be. Or there'll be scenes yeah. with him without the, without the helmet on. But even then, it's not. It could be. That could be anybody under there. That'll be good then for he, sure. After that, we've got cassian andor he's getting a show that one i'll admit is mm-hmm. a bit of a push no about how much i care uh, cassian andor i mean i like rogue one quite a lot but cassian andor see was he my favorite character in that film? no not not by a long way
1: you will not get me to say a <laughs> negative word about diego luna i'm all for for his tv show i mean i do 100 percent agree that it seems like we were, like, I don't know that there's a big uh, fan base out there for people that wanted Cassian Andor, but I am one of them, so I will benefit from this entirely and enjoy it.
0: I think Ahsoka is what I'm looking forward to the most out of all of them. She's great in the Clone Wars, she's great in Star Wars Rebels, I even like Rosario Dawson's interpretation of Ahsoka, and the fact that it seems to be what they're setting up as a continuation of Star Wars Rebels, even better. You know, mm-hmm. that means we get to see Ezra Bridger, Sabine is going to be in it. So, that's yes. the one I far and away... Most and so, here's
1: the do. thing. Sorry, to go back to Boba Fett. There was a moment in time when I thought what was going to happen was that Grogu was going to pick not the chainmail, the little uh, shirt mm-hmm. that they made him, but rather the lightsaber. Yeah. And so, in my mind, I thought that meant that Grogu was going to stick with Luke for a while, at least. And that, um, you know, the Mando... What's his name? Din Djarin or something like that. Din Jaren. anyways, whatever, the Mando, I I thought he was going to then explore kind of like the Bo-Katan, like Mandalore rule of it for his third season, and so it wouldn't matter if you saw Boba Fett or not, because last you left Yoda, or Grogu anyway, was with Luke, and so... It was just kind of him continuing that other plot point. And so I thought, okay, I can, I can see how then this is non-essential. Like, it's cool if you do watch it and you do go see that the Mando was close to reuniting with Grogu, but then Grogu ultimately chose to to stay with Luke and train at least for a little bit and develop his powers, right? But now that they're together again, again, it's like baffling to me. So it's like, is it, the expectation that people were supposed to watch this before watching Mandalorian Season 3, in which case why not make that Mandalorian Season 3 even, you know, like, it's it's weird. It's a weird choice to me. I don't fully understand what they're doing yet.
0: Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter say something like, it's as if they wanted to make the Mandalorian Season 3 but then COVID happened but they'd already filmed two episodes so they were like, quick, we got to get something out. Let's film these five episodes of Boba Fett and just put <laughs> yeah. it around them. Because they also come out of nowhere. It's not as if you know, in all of the other episodes, we've been cutting back to to Mando and what he's been up to, which maybe might have been a better approach rather than just here's the Bo- book of Boba Fett theme tune, which I think is great and maybe one of the best additions to Star Wars in maybe a few, good few years. Yeah. Oh, look who it is! It's not Boba Fett at all. I will say that scene where he's introduced the Mandalorian with the dark saber that was great. Good to see that he you know he cut his leg, so he's not very good at it. Although. <laughs> He yes. like gives it to the armorer, and she's like, have you taken your helmet off? Yes. Oh, you're not a Mandalorian anymore. Okay, so I'm going to leave now, and I'm going to take the dark saber with me. Just, <laughs> I guess.
1: Well, I think their whole thing is that like you can't give that saber anyway, right? So it's like, could he give it to the armor or the other guy? Because then they would be in the same predicament that he is, that he's received, or I guess, sorry, that Bo-Katan was, that she received it and didn't earn it, or so on, right? So... I think either way they couldn't do much about that, but I th- I just thought it was funny. It's like, uh, did she know that he yeah. had taken his helmet off? Was I, I, I had a lot of questions about that. I want to know. More I guess about also, where it's they like, if, if you're that honorable, uh, if you're that honorable, then maybe you couldn't lie. But I was like, just like nobody knows. Like, just say that you're still you know immaculate mm. in terms of nobody has seen your face.
0: Mm. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's mentioned in the second season of Mandalorian with where, where, where Bo-Katan thinks that his sort of little sect of of Mandalorians is like a, a cult, like a some sort of like crazy mm-hmm. cult. So I thought he was going to mention that, but he didn't. He just kept that to himself. Also, why didn't he lie? I mean, it was like, if you taking your helmet off? No, no.
1: Nope. It, never. You, you weren't there. You <laughs> don't know.
0: Think about it. He took, he took his helmet off quite... There was that episode in the first season in like that forest planet where they're defending that little like tribe from... from from an ATST, and he takes his helmet off there and you just see the back of his head so clearly he wasn't that attached to this whole thing because that was quite early on before he'd met other Mandalorians he's like oh it's hot under here but (laughs) there we go Star Wars continues the Disney consolidation of the entire world continues yeah oh well I guess we've had enough of a detour out of
1: comic books and maybe we should come back into comic books
0: (laughs) exactly time to mention what I have read so, I have read a lot of things this month, like an extortionate amount. Maybe it's these new glasses I have. I don't know, but somehow I've maybe it's, I've also watched a lot less TV. So it's probably that. It's probably the reason.
1: There are only so many hours it, in a day.
0: Exactly. Uh, so now we get to talk about more here instead of uh, diagnosis, murder ever useless rubbish i, I normally uh, watch so we'll start with a continuation of what i talked about last month so last month it was batman cataclysm an earthquake hit gotham city everything is in ruins it's a build-up towards the no man's land event that is forthcoming so this is in between it's batman roads to no man's land volume one this is the collected edition from 2015 and it includes a large creative team we got writers like chuck dixon alan grant greg ruck greg rucker is there there's a lot of art by Mark Buckingham, but also uh, Stans Johnson, Jim Aparo, uh, inking by Wayne Faucher, Stan Watch, Joe Rubinstein, are just to name a few members of this creative team. What was a bit of a surprise to me, especially because this came out in 2015, is that the letterers and the colourists, you have to go to the individual issues to find out who they are. If you just open like the main credits page, not a single one is mentioned. Oh, no. I don't know if that's a space saving thing but i mean you could just make the font a bit smaller because the font of these other people is quite big but so there are obviously there are letters so bill oakley todd klein and uh, clem robbins are an example of, of three there and then pan rob Fra- pam rambo gregory wright and jason wright are also examples of colorists but as i say there's a large creative team and uh, so Go out there and find. If you think of someone that was probably working on uh, Batman in the 90s, they're probably involved in this somehow. Now, there's not much of a plot to this volume, which was a bit of a surprise. It's very much like cataclysm in that it's just what what's happening during this time now that Gotham has been struck by an earthquake. I suppose the big changes that I imagine will have some sort of effect going forward is that both people and the businesses that they might employ are leaving gotham so there's no jobs and people are leaving leaving only the uh, less good people behind and n- none of these stories are particularly great in my opinion I-, I don't remember any particularly they introduce you know the different members of the bat family have have their uh, make their appearances oh spoiler has a story to herself Nightwing Huntress is still there even Alfred gets his own uh, issue where he's defending Wayne Manor from uh, some would-be thieves that don't know that that Bruce Wayne is Batman but they're thinking well a rich man's house has fallen down there must be things worth stealing in there but other than that it's not particularly great one of the stories however I think is utterly insane and it's the second one in there so it's not as if it's buried halfway through after you've had a lot of Batman so it's this story about this father who's playing with his son on on a hill and he's playing catch or something and he throws the ball and the son jumps to catch it or something and falls and breaks his neck so he's like paralyzed and can't speak this is all pre-earthquake so then the dad falls into a depression he has an affair you know his son still while seemingly more more mobile still can't speak and eventually you know he sort of has a a change of heart and he his son there are like some fireworks going on outside and his son finally says something and, and so he's like you know I know I've made mistakes I know things aren't perfect but let's try and, and make the best out of this bad situation and then the earthquake mm. strikes, and the paralysed son, who is in a wheelchair, a big chasm forms beneath him, and he just falls into the earth, and that's the end. Oh I mean, no! It was definitely different, but uh, certainly not what I was expecting. Again, so I say there's a large creative team, and that does mean it was the same problem with, as well, all events like this, and such as X Men Apocalypse. So it's not really a cohesive style to all of them and that is especially true when it comes to what Batman himself looks like. So Martin Buckingham draws like a very classic Batman with a big square jaw. John Bedia has a very animated style especially when it comes to, to Robin. Bob Hall draws uh, like a very long and thin Batman. It's as if someone has got a JPEG of Batman, decreased the width and increased the length which wouldn't be so bad. This was Bob Hall no I mean, I don't know if he's still working. He's definitely not listening to this, I highly doubt. No offense. But it wouldn't have been so bad if there weren't so many close ups of this Batman's face. Just like very long, stretched Batman. And the same can be said for what people are wearing. So sometimes Batman is all in black. Sometimes he's wearing grey and blue. I mean it's not as if that's having a massive impact on the not much of a story that's going on and if you were, I guess, not reading all of it back to back in one go like I was, you probably wouldn't notice. But it's just something, something worth worth mentioning. There's also no Detective Hawk in this one. He does get a single mention in that uh, Dick Grayson, Nightwing, is thinking of of maybe not being Nightwing anymore and just becoming a normal policeman and helping people that way. And then Bruce's replies like, "Oh, I've been spending a bit of time as a policeman." Recently, is that yep? That was that was a choice you made, Bruce. But mm-hmm. it's fine. It's more '90s comic books, to be honest. Except on the on, the- so it's good to know that both the big two weren't producing their best work at this time, which probably explains why <laughs> comics weren't doing their best in the '90s. On the other side of the coin, uh, safe so remember, Last year I read Absolute Carnage, and now I've read. All of it, all, all three years' worth of Venom in about a month, and it's great. So, Donny Cates and Ryan Stegman they put in the majority of the writing and drawing effort, but folks like Ivan Coella, Mark Bagley, Frank Martin, of course, VCs Clayton Cowles all lend their talents when doing this this long run. Uh, much like Batman, there is somewhat of an impact here, but it's just the way comics are made. I wasn't expecting Ryan Stegman to do the entire run. Uh, as much as I would have, have, have liked that but there are cases where you're reading one issue and either like halfway through or you'll just turn the pace to the next issue and it'll look totally different uh, just prepare yourself for that so the entire series is made up of eight or nine books depending on how you see things so there's volumes one to six like Venom uh, there's Absolute Carnage and then there's The King in Black. So they're all written by Donny Case. Absolute Carnage, King in Black, they're the, like the big tentpole events that take place in, in this run. But there's also another book which chronologically uh, and numerically issue-wise in Venom 2018 uh, is the fourth one to take place. But it's a tie-in to the War of the Realms event that was going on at the same time in which Dark Elves evaded Earth. It's not written by uh, Donnie. Case it's written by Cullen Bunn, and so eight or nine books. It is mentioned here and there, the events of what happened, but it's absolutely not crucial to the story in any way. It involves, at that point, Eddie has, has lost the symbiote, and so he doesn't have a, a symbiote by himself, and then some Asgardian witch gives him a magic crystal, and he uses this magic crystal to give himself a new symbiote, um, which is like fueled by his rage, and then by the end of the volume, he's he's lost it, and then absolute carnage begins, and he gets the Venom symbiote back. Uh, I we talked about it before. Clearly, the '90s heroes, as much as I seem to complain about '90s comic books, are I'm a big fan of. We talked about Gambit. Venom is one of them. <laughs> yes. Uh, and the here the bond between like, Eddie, the symbiote, his son Dylan. The rest of the Marvel Universe gets a lot of, of uh, use here, especially because there are two big events that are symbiote-related. There's the extended Brock family. There are all the other symbiotes, and their various hosts out there. They're all explored. Captain Universe even makes an appearance at, at one point. I mean, I did say spoilers, but it turns out Captain Universe, the entity, is actually, turns out, a, a symbiote, a god of light. And so binds to Eddie Brock and he becomes this new God of Light for a very brief period. The threat Mm. of Null, this God of the symbiotes, looms throughout the entire series and makes for somewhat of a great threat, although the King in Black event in which it's all wrapped up is quite short. It's only five issues, which is the same length as the Absolute Carnage event, but the issues are a lot thinner. So it's all just wrapped up pretty quickly. Like You've heard about this guy, you've seen him here and there, he makes appearances in some of the other... Volumes of this big guy that's, you know, the high, like the central core behind the hive mind of all the symbiotes. And he just shows up on Earth, beats the Avengers, and Eddie Pop gets the powers of Captain Universe. Goodbye, Noel. The end. The last issue, though, is definitely worth talking about just by itself. So it's number 35, but it's Mm -hmm. Venom number 200. So it, it doesn't, you could read it by itself, to be honest. It doesn't really have any relation to what has happened before, but Eddie has defeated Narl, and he's become the new god of the symbiotes now, so he is not just Venom, he is all, all of them, and he can connect with the hive mind, and is using the hive to he's helping the guardians of the galaxy solve their problems, he's helping Asgard do this, he's helping just random planets throughout the galaxy solve their problems uh, with, with his uh, symbiote army, but eddie brock is just a human being and so using this massive power is having somewhat of a negative effect and he's aged dramatically since we last saw him you know in in issue 34 the end of uh absolute uh king in black he looks just like normal eddie brock but now he's got a big gray beard and, right. and gray hair and has a walk with a cane etc but he basically he free it down to like well no pain no gain you know, I can help all these people. Sure, it's having some impact on me, but finally, I'm I'm doing good and and helping people because Eddie's opinion of himself and whether or not he's a hero is definitely one of the main sort of emotional arcs of the entire uh, Kate's run. Um, so he's going out there. Mm-hmm. He, his son Dylan is now. He took he lost his powers during the King and Black event, and is just going to school as a normal teenager and so he, you know, he's a bit upset that he got his father back after all this time but now his father spends all of his time plugged into this big symbiote chair and uh, so isn't he's, he's there but not there. Uh, he ends up coming across mm-hmm. Jack-O-Lantern which is a villain that's cropped up a few times in the run, very low rung even I might say amongst Spider-Man villains but <laughs> he, he, I guess maybe Donny Case is a fan because he shows up quite a few times and he shows up here at the end and uh, accidentally shoots Dylan, and so Dylan then takes on the Venom symbiote and becomes Venom. Uh, eight Flash Thompson comes back to life mm. as well. There's another. That's another part of the uh, of the whole story. I'm a big Flash Thompson fan because I guess, of course, I am. He's my my favourite of the Venoms. Uh, so it's good to see him him back in back in play. Yeah, would recommend Venom, which is something I probably didn't think I would have expected to say, but yeah big fan
1: a little surprised but yeah. good
0: and i'm also a big fan of, of ryan's statement it's probably probably why i was slightly disappointed he didn't draw every single issue but it's like 80 percent, so i can't complain too much uh and the last mm-hmm. thing i read why the last man volume one unmanned so we talked about nice. the last month so it's still written by brian cable and drawn by pierre guerrera shockingly <laughs> uh I will say, so I'm certainly intrigued by the premise of this big plague that has killed everything with a Y chromosome except our main character Yorick and (laughs) his monkey Ampersand and how this could possibly be resolved. They set up a few, they set up the ring, like this magic ring that he might have or there's a, a talisman somewhere or perhaps the cloning experiment of Dr. Man, that also might be the cause, so... Whether it's one of those or none of those, that is certainly quite interesting. However, you mentioned that you don't like Yorick very much. At least here, I don't think I like anyone at all. <laughs> They're all horrible people. Yes. Even Yorick's mum, when she's first introduced, I was quite surprised how yeah, just how she how she came across. I'm sure maybe I think Agent Three Five Five is probably my favourite character so far. She seems the most yeah well-rounded of people I suppose whereas all everyone else I don't know I feel like if I was in your situation and people make comment you know he's taking his his uh, gas mask off pretty regularly for someone that is the last man uh, and they do make a yes. point of saying that he does a good impression of a woman because when I first started to read it I was like well how are you getting away with this you speak out loud to others surely they can just hear that you're not a female and he's like oh i had a good drama teacher right. or something is something that he he just happens to drop in conversation uh-huh. but as a certainly intrigued will continue with why the last man but just hopefully people get a bit nicer
1: yeah i think as they go on like the characters do start developing a lot more of like the gray area that you really want them and that they do have like annoying habits and particular things to them, but they also start showing a lot of where they come from and why they have that. Mm-hmm. I finished rereading *Why the Last Man* since we last spoke. That isn't what I'm going to talk about today, but I did uh, I did read it and um, I I found myself happy with the with and satisfied with the end at once mm-hmm. again like I did the first time that that I read it. But I I did. I, I was able to feel a lot better about Yorick, about Dr. Man, about 355, like about all these characters that you start meeting and that they do have a certain degree of unlikability to them. But I think that's kind of mm-hmm. true of all of us, right? Like, I think we, you know, like we, none of us are, are perfect in that way. And so I think Brian K. Vaughan does a good job of, I, I think he leans a little heavy on making them unlikable at the beginning. Like, I think yeah. that could have been a little bit more balanced out. But I do think that by the end, you see a lot more things from, from their perspective and understand where they're I coming from. I
0: was surprised from. when Dr. Man, she shows up at the hospital and she's pregnant. And the guy there that she knows, and he's like, who's the father? And then she's like, me. And then they have to have this secret birth in in a cupboard. Why not just say it doesn't matter or don't yeah, know? I don't
1: know him. I don't <laughs> remember. One night stand. Instead, of,
0: they end up having this ethical debate about how For she's sure. growing her own clone. I mean, you could have clearly maybe talk about that afterwards, but it's not as if the baby, when it's born, is going to look exactly <laughs> like her just immediately. But yeah,
1: I think the only thing I would say is that perhaps there was like concern that something by a lot like something may happen differently during this and so just fyi this mm-hmm. is a clone kind of thing like in case that helps me but i do th- it, I, the the reality of of it is that it's clearly done so that the audience knows um yep but that, it's a clone yeah. certainly
0: it was good yeah i was certainly i liked the art as well here we go. great art just everyone is so horrible someone say something nice to someone else please <laughs> And I still don't understand why he has a monkey. For sure, they're like, "Oh, I adopted it so I could train it." So like, you don't seem like the sort of person that would yeah. do that, Yorick. But alas, you have a monkey now, and it yes. has some u- some use in, in in the story. But there you go. That is what I have read this month. A lot of a lot of symbiotes and and others.
1: So uh, this month, I um, I reread something that i had started and did not finish and uh, i it has kind of relaunched are you familiar with the magic order yeah yeah it's by written by mark millar and it's i think like the first one of the his books that came out under like the netflix thing Mm. and i think at some point it was supposed to have a show but then it didn't end up having a show anyways it has uh like they've done the magic order volume two like that's currently hitting your local comic book stores if you're interested in that and so I reread The Magic Order Volume One and then I started reading Volume Two, the first four issues. So it's a total of 10 issues mm-hmm. altogether, I guess I would say. Um, so if you're unfamiliar in the first volume, the writing is handled by Mark Millar, but the art in the covers are handled by Oliver, uh, I said, Coipel. I think he's French, so maybe it's Coipel. I don't know. Uh, but then the letter Peter Doherty, the uh, the editor is Rachel Fulton. I mean, I, I cannot have it in front of me. I thought this would list all of them. It unfortunately doesn't have the inker and the colorist. But all, oh, David Stewart. There, there is. Dave Stewart is the person handling handling the colors. Um. Anyways, it's about. I guess, I don't know, a magic order is the best way to really <laughs> describe it. It's kind of like what Mark Millar's interpretation of magic would be. So it's like people carrying wands, but it's a lot of drug, sex, and rock and roll okay. on the side. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, it does for Harry Potter, I guess, what, uh, kick-ass did for superheroes so it's like you know if you were a weapon or if you were in a dangerous situation there would be like a lot more death there would be a lot more gratuity like you would get in deep into over your head um the main characters are leonard moonstone leonard is like the patriarch the leader of the magic order he's uh, a lot of these people are professional magicians during the day and then also just happen to be real like magic wielding people um he has three kids Cordelia, the the only daughter, she is kind of, I guess, what would be traditionally known as a fuck-up. She is an escapologist. Her birth mother was a stage assistant of Leonard's that got impregnated. He kind of wanted an abortion because he was married. And then her first trick, Cordelia's first trick, was escaping the abortion. She just goes (laughs) from outside of the uterus of the, the woman that was seeking that termination into a nearby nurse or surgeon, I think. I think it's a surgeon. And uh, Leonard and his wife end up adopting her soon after birth. She is still biologically Leonard's daughter. Mm-hmm. She's really reckless. She, you know, she's uh, she loves seeking attention. She's uh, the, the traditional black sheep of the family. Uh, then you have Regan Moonstone, who is, I guess, the most responsible one. He's the... the younger son i think i think it's the youngest son of um leonard he kind of is also his like most dependable right-hand person yeah. often accompanying him on stage you know he anyways and then the third child is the one that we kind of meet a little bit later it's gabriel gabe is the oldest son he's like incredibly gifted magically he's like the one that everyone thought would be you know the the inheritor to the throne But at some point when he was living with his wife and his kid, he kind of left his wand unlocked or so. And then the daughter went up and grabbed the wand and then destroyed half the house, including herself. And so uh, his wife, him, they kind of have not uh, gotten over that Mm -hmm. and and have no desire to be part of this magical world. We start off by uh, a big attack. There is uh, this assassin called, I think the Venetian is the name that they give him later on. He goes after Eddie Lasowski, which is one of other uh, uh, these, I guess, like a red shirt from a Star Trek vibe, <laughs> but he is technically a, a member of the Order. And so when they are at Lasowski's uh, funeral and they're kind of discussing like how big of an impact, how like important of an event is that somebody has tried to kill one of them, uh, we're kind of introduced to the main antagonist of the series. Her name is Madame Albany. And... You know, it's it she is uh Leonard's cousin and she wanted this book that that it's called the Oraculkum, I think, that uh, her father did not give to her, gave instead to Leonard. And she is still angry about that. It's a book that cannot be destroyed and contains some incredibly, incredibly dark magic stuff. And you know, like the 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 order, the the magic order under Leonard's leadership, have kind of decided to lock this book away in this you know fortress that they have, and nobody can read it, and so on. And so as this this book continues, we start seeing uh, the Venetian really destroy, absolutely destroy the magic order, going through one. After another of, of these people that are really cool and you start starting to build up this kind of sense of sadness and grief mm-hmm. for all these cool characters that never will be, you yeah. know, like you're, you're, you're slowly attached to like, um, different magicians, I guess is maybe the word. I don't know if this is technically what they call themselves, but you start to also, I think I, I really want to give props to both, uh, Oliver Cuipe and, uh, Mark Millar that they... Are able to interpret magic in a very new way. Like I'm almost, I, I almost wonder what would it be like if um, he took over something like a Doctor Strange yeah. and did some of his zany stuff there. Obviously, it would be a little subdued. I don't know that Doctor Strange would be out here exploding people's heads <laughs> and so on. But there's like one spell in particular that they really do often, which is trapping people inside books. And so, you know, they, they, they have this guy who they trap inside Robinson Crusoe, and then he's, like, stranded for a while, and he's, like, desperate to get out of there, and then they put him in, like, Dr. Morose so who's getting like, operated, and then, you know, they do, like, Pride and Prejudice at the end as, like, punishment for stuff. Anyway, so they slowly they're, they're getting decimated, they're trying to figure out, it's clear that, like, Madame Albany is behind it, but they're trying to figure out who the Venetian is um you see the Venetian slowly make work of all going up the ranks right like all the cool characters he ends up killing uh leonard who is the the leader and then it's just left to his children um regan and cordelia to figure this out because like i said gabe has removed himself yep. this at some point gabe gets attacked by this huge monster um he makes quick work of it traps it in a bottle but they determine that it's no longer safe so regan uh, and Cordelia kind of convinced Gabe to tag along with them as they go confront Madame Albany, and then they send his wife to the fortress where where the, where that the magic order is. You know, there's a big plot twist at the end in where you end up finding out that some of these people's loyalties are a little bit different, and I don't want to maybe go to be too specific in case somebody out there still wants to read it, but you can go ahead. And check that out. And then, uh, you know, it ends up with a big attack in the fortress that they had. Uh, The book gets kind of almost taken over. And then on the other hand, Madame Albany, with a a secret ally, is able to overpower um, Cordelia and Regan, who are the people in charge, I guess, of of the Magic Order. Fortunately, the the end... Cordelia, like I mentioned, she's a black sheep. She doesn't follow the rules. She's already read this book that everybody (laughs) is fighting over. And so she manages to do the spell that um, Madame Albany had promised to do, which involves bringing people back from the dead by sacrificing somebody in real life. And so she does this spell and she basically kills all these dark wizards or magicians that were siding with Madame Albany. And in doing so, brings back every cool other character that I was really (laughs) sad that we had lost in, in the first volume. And so in the end, Leonard decides that he wants to move on, like dying has had an impact on him. And so he ends up entrusting to Cordelia, the running, the, the, the leadership of, of the Magic Order, which is kind of a nice little arc for her. Right, She goes from being like a fuck up in the beginning and then to being the, the dependable person that solved it all um, in the second volume. I guess this is a bit of a spoiler alert. Like, if you do want to check this out, maybe skip towards the end because uh, the the beginning of Volume Two does end up uh, spo- spoiling Volume One. Uh, volume Two, the artwork is no longer handled by Oliver uh, Quappel, who is great, and you know I I do love his style, but it doesn't go down necessarily. It's more of a lateral move because the the art is handled by Stuart Eminem, oh, yeah. who I, I think a lot of comic book uh, fans would be familiar with and it's really great, so the great artwork continues just under a different artist. It finds Cordelia in charge of the the US version of the Magic Order, and um, they are now raising, again, spoiler alert if you have not seen this, they are now raising the daughter of Gabriel, the the one that died in volume one. You know, you find out that Gabriel had made a deal with Madame Albany where he would kill all these people in the order in exchange for being able to bring back his daughter. Right. Uh he, he they were gonna do the same spell that Cordelia ends up doing where, you know, sacrifice somebody to bring somebody back. So in the end, Gabriel sacrifices his own life. Uh, he's convinced by Cordelia. Cordelia tells him that he will do the spell that Madame Albany was going to do if he stands down because he was kind of destroying everybody again. Super powerful. Uh, Cordelia, so Cordelia kills her brother, Gabe, and then brings back uh, his daughter. And so Regan and his partner, his boyfriend, are kind of raising uh, Gabriel's, their niece, Gabriel's daughter in, in the suburbs. You know, Cordelia is in charge. They're all having a grand time. And then all of a sudden, they get a visit from the UK branch of the Magic Order, the leader Kevin Mitchell is letting them know that it seems like the they're having a lot more complications than they expected because there are families who are kind of stepping out of their lines um, and trying to create this plot. And now I don't like so far this book hasn't finished. I've read the first three issues. I, I'm on the fourth one uh what we've we've seen some introductions to some really cool characters there is um one whose name is escaping me right now francis i think it is who is like this again sex drugs sex drugs and rock and roll this guy has all three for mark millar and he used to be i guess somebody that was engaged to cordelia and has been dealing with uh some darkness he went into rehab he kind of left rehab because he just wanted to see cordelia and It seems like there is some dark presence in him beyond, I guess, just addiction or having an addictive personality. Like there seems like there's a magical darkness uh, that's inside him that is kind of leading him to do all make all these bad decisions. One of which ends up being that he shoots up uh, shortly after seeing Cordelia, he shoots up with heroin. And, you know, under the influence of that, he decides to answer the SOS that they've put out as the, these dark wizards are attacking, uh, you know, Regan, Cordelia, and all the UK branch of the Magic Order. He shows up completely, I guess, drugged out of his mind, ends up killing, uh, you know, one of the, Kevin Mitchell, who's the leader of the UK, is like one of his closest friends, Haroon, and ends up getting banned from from this UK Magic Order because he fucked up. Now I'm guessing that's not the end of that. It seems like he's contemplating suicide. Again, you we do see like an illustration of some kind of demon or alien or something that uh that is in 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 this and um it seems like we're going to explore that further. I don't think he's going to commit suicide, but we will have to see, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, in doing so, they they uh it looks like they're setting up for maybe a takeover of the UK branch. We'll have to see where, where it ends up wrapping up. But I do I do really enjoy this. I did really enjoy the reading this fully uh, once again. I think it's yeah. been described as The Sopranos meets Harry Potter which I think is like a good it's kind of a good understanding of what you're going to get with this book. You know, like if it what kick did for superheroes is kind of what this is trying to do for magic, for like a Harry Potter, for a Doctor Strange, right? So it's like really violent a lot of like takeovers and you know going crossing lines and all but I will say that like where it is the coolest is that Mark Millar, I I think where Mark Millar is weaker is that he is not a subtle writer. Like, there's a lot of, like, nuances in terms of, like, he's going to give you exactly what you're asking for. But where he is great is that he's so incredibly inventive, and he's looking at magic through his own creative mind. And the spells and, like, the, the, the creatures and the things that he's bringing are so, so good. And it does make me, like, wonder out loud, like, what would this be if... Um, you know, he took something over like Doctor Strange. Now, that being said, I think if he took over Doctor Strange, he would be so limited by the parameters of something like Marvel that I don't think the work would be the same as what he does here. But I just think that if we do end up like, you know, looking at other writers, like let's look at writers that are are kind of going down similar lanes than something like The Magic Order mm-hmm. because it was re- really refreshing. I think it, it was really, really, really well done.
0: Oh, that's good. I mean, you'd have to was it, Marvel Max, the Max line. you have to be sort of a, a Doctor Strange along along those lines. There's no way... Yeah, no, Doctor Strange verse 616 is not uh, blowing up anybody's heads any, anytime, anytime soon. 100%, yeah. An alien inside a person reminded me of uh, the Sentry. The Sentry makes an appearance in uh, Donny Cates' his, his Venom Run. So, the Sentry... Didn't he kill Carnage? Yeah, I think so. Well, the Sentry... He, people have mixed thoughts on, on the century. I think he became they. It was he's like a more recent Marvel creation that they then tried to shoehorn in backwards. They were sort of like doing, doing yeah. hist- a bit sort of like the like the uh, like the DC films. They're like, oh, we'll make a film about them in the present, and they will tell you how important they were, even though they 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 weren't there. He shows up in this, and Catchmaker's like, oh, we we have our our big gun come to, you know, he's been flying throughout space to come stop you. And then he just shows up and you no, know, rips him in half. And it's like, well, there you go. That's how, I guess that's what Donnie case thinks of the century, which I think is maybe a, uh, I don't think the century is that cool. So maybe I'm yeah. in line I, I think Gates. it's hard.
1: To, like when you're kind of show, like, you know, telling and not showing to make, you you're just like, okay, this person is the most powerful one. You just have to accept that. It's harder to accept when you're told to do so.
0: Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, I think it was good. That sounds, I think, refreshing. I, th- I got it from why. I mean, look, I thoroughly enjoyed Casey Venom. I read all nine of those books in a rapid amount of time. But you know, make comics the Marvel way is is. It was nice going from that to why the last Man, which was totally different in in every way. It was like it's like ah, mm-hmm. oh, this is why. Comic books make for such a good medium. I suppose you could say that for, for anything. Not everything. Like The mainstream is fun and all. Much like, I guess, MCU films. But there's always going to be something out there that is that is a bit different. It's something you should probably tell those directors that keep making those comments about uh, how Marvel's films are ruining cinema. We had another one of those. this I know. Thing, but...
1: Never stops, really.
0: No, it doesn't, does it? It's just... Whatever's popular is is also the bad thing. You can follow uh, PhD Reads at PhD Reads, but you can also follow Layered Butter at Layered Butter and Layered underscore Butter on Twitter and Instagram, respectively. What is going on on the Layered Butter front? Rodrigo, tell us.
1: Uh, So we have a new exciting project for our Patreon supporters of Layered Butter. We're going to start handing out like uh, or printing out some almost like trading cards, a little bit bigger than what you would assume a trading card size would be. But it's going to be exclusive for our patrons. We're going to do one every month. It's going to have beautiful art accompanied with like information of each artist and kind of like their influences and so on. So really excited about that. Modern Horror is starting to ship finally the podcast is firing on all cylinders the website has a lot more new content so yeah check out layered butter layer uh and from there you can probably access everything
0: absolutely definitely a I feel like
1: i might join the layered butter Patreon just to get some of those will they will they ship to the uk <laughs> they will ship to wherever the people are and it's at no additional cost beyond just being
0: a well, about well there you go you can uh uh, like, share, and subscribe this show wherever you get your your podcasts. Say I'm, I use Podcast Addict primarily because when I started listening to podcasts, the Google Podcast app didn't exist. Uh, so this was the one, the first one that I found, and it's the one I've stuck with ever since. But you know, Spotify or Apple Music or Podbean—I think that's that's another podcast app out there. Whatever you use, you can find PhD student reads. I think it's even on Deezer now. This show. But regardless, you, are. you can find this. You can probably find the Layers Butter Podcast. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, whatever. It's it's the modern world. Everybody is everywhere. And soon we'll be in the metaverse, which will be very exciting. Uh, so, yeah, before you, before we see you in the metaverse, goodbye.